This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast, sponsored by Cards Accepted. I'm Elite Jackson and of course I'm joined by George Smith. George, how are you? I'm not too bad at all, mate, thank you. Not bad at all. Christmas nearly upon us, good weekend of Championship football, are you currently in the off work, spirit? so... Slowly getting there, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't see why not. And an absolute bucket load of championship football to come over the next fortnight or so, and quite an action-packed weekend to look back on this evening as well. A feast, you might say. Yeah, you could call it with that. And it's it's quite weird, isn't it, that we're recording this on a Sunday evening? We've still not completed the weekend, of course, with Leicester and Birmingham still to play on Monday night. So, still not quite completed the weekend yet, but. The 11 games we've had so far have certainly not disappointed. Yeah, you're quite right. I, I went to Southampton. That is not near my house, for anyone that was wondering. <laughs> I do not live near Southampton. Uh, that was a 16-hour day. And they got thumped 4-0. And that's probably where we're going to start, this- actually, the weekend. Because with the top two, uh, Norwich and Ipswich drawing at Portman Road 2 all, of course. A game we'll briefly touch on later on. Or we'll probably go a bit more in-depth because it was a very interesting game. And Leicester City playing Birmingham on Monday night and Leeds United drawing as well, George. It meant Southampton were the only team in the top four to win at the weekend. And they won in some style, beating Blackburn Rovers 4-0 at St Mary's. As I said, not near my house, but I was there. It was a new ground to tick off, which I always enjoy doing. I haven't got many left in the championship, so that was ticked off. And Southampton were very, very, very impressive in my opinion. And obviously, as everyone knows, I cover Blackburn Rovers for my job for the Lancashire Telegraph. So generally speaking, when I've been sort of analysing this game and writing about it, it's been a case of picking out the faults with Blackburn. But I have to say, I think as as I think it was as much down to Southampton being very good as it was Blackburn being poor. I think they are def- Southampton are definitely the team that has nullified Blackburn the best of any this season. Are they the best team I've seen? I think Ipswich were probably played better football, but Blackburn also played far better against Ipswich because it was 4-3 and they did better. Same with Leeds, same with Leicester. This is the only game this season where Blackburn have been not really in it at any point. And that's because of how good Southampton were and particularly how they pressed. And it was really interesting tactically, George, because Rovers went without a recognised striker. Sam Smodic's played furthest forward in a, in a false nine role. And Southampton did the exact same and played Adam Armstrong on the right. Now, it's not the first time we've seen them do that. They went for a spell early in the season where they put Sulemana on the left, put Armstrong on the right, and Carlos Alcaraz played as the false nine. But generally, Armstrong has been back down the middle in this 14-game unbeaten run they're now on after winning at the weekend. So they had a lovely mixture of, if you're not going to play false nine, the important thing is you've got to have one person that is going to keep running in behind, or you've got to have a variation. And they didn't really have anyone fixed in that role. They sort of went with um, they, they went with Joel Aribo, Stuart Armstrong and Will Smallbone all sort of interplaying and interchanging as that furthest man forward. So it made it really hard for Blackburn because they got no one to mark during the during as the you know the passages of play were going on, but they constantly had runners going beyond them. And I think that's the big thing where people fall down when you're playing a false nine. You've got to still have people running in from midfield. Um, otherwise it doesn't work and it becomes too easy for the defence. Rovers couldn't get out, quite frankly, because Saints were so far in their half. 
Blackburn tried to play out as they always do. Sometimes they got out and sometimes the final pass wasn't quite right. They did have the first chance of the game, which Bazunu saved from a Smodic's free kick and then the rebound um, saved as well from Callum Britton. Um, but having said all that, the first goal, I think, is an error from both Adam Wharton and the goalkeeper. I kind of think the goalkeeper's got to come and take the lot. And Leopold Walsh actually had a really, really good game, particularly second half. He pulled off a lot of really good saves. And then obviously once the red card happens, Callum Britton sent off for a second yellow card, just boot absolutely levers the ball away in frustration at 1-0 on a yellow card. You can't argue with it. All I would say is the frustration for me is the inconsistency at how that rule is being applied because there was a few instances incidents in the first half, particularly one with Joel Aribo that I noticed where the ball gone out for a goal kick and he just kicked it away. Now he didn't he didn't lever it up the pitch like 60 yards in the same way Callum Britton did. And it doesn't change what Callum Britton did should be a red card because it is a second yellow. Those are the rules. But Aribo didn't get booked. And there's a, la- a lack of consistency where that rule's being applied. It doesn't change what happened to Britton. You know, that was a, a moment of stupidity. And once it was, I mean, they were already on the back foot, but I suppose you're still in the game always, aren't you, at 1-0. And once it went to 2-0, that was game over. And then Carlos Alcaraz then dinks the penalty over the crossbar, which was quite an amusing moment um, from just a neutral point of view. Because if you're going to penenka it, you've probably got to put it in the back of the net. So to put it over the bar from that distance. Um, and then they obviously get the third and the fourth in stoppage time to add a bit more gloss to the scoreline. But it didn't, it didn't um, flatter Southampton at all, even though they scored 96, 99 or whatever it was in stoppage time. It didn't flatter them. They were by far the best team. They're certainly the best team that have, uh, to nullify the threat that Blackburn have had. And they just couldn't get out. They, they tried to play. They pressed them really well. They sustained attacks really, really well. They're now 14 games unbeaten. They've got a real tactical understanding of what Russell Martin's asking them to do, the way they were rotating. As I say, Stuart Armstrong probably, well, he did get man of the match and I probably thought he was their best player. I thought Samuel Adozi on the left-hand side was really good as well. He's not someone that's been in the team that that often recently, but he, he played in midweek, scored, um, played on the left again here today, played really well. Sekumara looked bright when he came off the bench, scored. Alcaraz came off the bench, scored. So they're getting more out of the squad as well. So it's really good place to Southampton. Fourteen games unbeaten and, and a really comprehensive victory against Blackburn Rovers. Most definitely, without a doubt, and this was this was obviously their biggest win of the season so far. And even though they're on this brilliant unbeaten run that they've been on now since the very end of September, it's the first time that they've sort of taken a team to the cleaners and, and battered somebody, if you like, in terms of the scoreline. Been a lot of one nil, two one wins in this unbeaten run that they're on. But of course, they they all count. It's all three points. But I think Russell Martin will be delighted in the sense that his team have got back on track after back to back draws away from home. And they are now really starting to make St Mary's a fortress. It's five home wins on the trot, six home wins in seven. The only time they've been stopped at home since losing to Ipswich on the 19th of September was when they were held by Rotherham at the beginning of October in that one-all draw. So Russell Martin's certainly getting more and more out of his team's home form. And I think that's going to be key for Southampton because at the start of the season, they were a bit hit and miss it on their own patch. Obviously, they, they got thumped by Leicester if we think back to September. They had that draw with Norwich in the second game of the season. They'd lost to Ipswich, as I mentioned. But in recent months, last couple of months, so eight to ten weeks, we've really seen them go up through the gears at home. And if they continue this unbeaten run, getting the wins at home, picking points up on the road, they are going to keep there or thereabouts in the in sort of the outside hunt for the top two with the relentless pace that both Leicester and Ipswich, of course, have set. 
But I think any Southampton fan with one game to go until the halfway point in the season would have accepted being in this position, obviously after a, quite a big upheaval in the summer, a new manager, a, a complete shift in play style. And yet they had a bit of a wobble throughout September. There's no doubt about that. But since getting over that, They've been absolutely faultless, really. I find it really, really funny that, that the one last team to beat them was Middlesbrough, and that was their first win of the season. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable, isn't it? It was literally that four-game run in September where they lost four of their five September and matches. And lost badly as well. It and was the matter outside, of the defeat as well. Yeah, the, the, the Sunderland defeat and the Leicester defeat, was obviously, they both were absolutely harrowing. I remember watching the Leicester game, and it was just horrific. But since then, they've been, as I say, absolutely brilliant. Like I say, Fourteen unbeaten. They've only drawn five in that run as well. So the wins are wins have been coming quite quite commonly. But I think the thing for Southampton now, the challenge is, of course, when the fixes are coming thick and fast over Christmas, any manager at any club is going to have to use their squad to the maximum. It's hard to keep a consistent eleven to keep the rhythm and momentum going. You've got to use your squad wisely at this stage with the way the games come so fast every three four days. But I think the challenge for Southampton now is can they string a run of victories together? Because if you look at this unbeaten run of 14 that they've been on, the only the longest winning sequence they've had is three games, which it, obviously the Championship, it's not easy to put a, a strong win of, run of wins together. But you can clearly see that Southampton just needs to be a little bit more consistent in getting victories on the board. So I think that's the next challenge for Southampton. And you look at their upcoming fixtures between, say, now and New Year's Day, their next four league games. They've got QPR away. Swansea at home, Plymouth at home, and Norwich away. That's quite a favourable fixture list, to be fair. And suppose when you're one of the form teams in the are, league, every every uh, every well, team exactly. is a favourable run of fixtures apart from it the top certainly three. is. But you look at those, but the, but they're looking at the teams there that you've got to look at and say on paper, sort of thing. Their game, Southampton, probably should be winning with the quality that they've got. QPR away, obviously not easy. They're still battling for the lives. Swansea, obviously in a transitional period at the moment, still waiting for the manager. Plymouth, superb at home, but really, really poor away. But there is a bit of a local derby to that, to throw in an added spice. And then Norwich away, who have been picking up recently. So that won't be easy, but Southampton will fans the chance in then his next four games between now and New Year's Day. So a big couple of weeks coming up for the Saints and Russell Martin. But the longer this sequence, this unbeaten run goes on, the more and more the confidence is going to grow. But I think you've got to look at the fact that more and more players are now chipping in with goals for Southampton as well. You mentioned Adozi there about how he's not really been in the team as often as he would have liked recently. Two goals in two games for him now, four for the season. He'll be looking to try and nestle uh, nestle down a place in that team and keep his spot because he's been on the bench quite a lot in recent weeks. So Russell Martin's got a lot of options. And we've we mentioned, of course, throughout the season so far that the embarrassment of riches they've got in attack. So the fact that they've finally sort of shown what they've got by scoring four goals for the for the first time since they put four past Norwich in the second game of the season is hopefully a step in the right direction in the sense that they are going to start to take teams to the cleaners because there's been, like I said, there's been a lot of slender wins in this run, which is not a bad thing. Slender wins can often be the best victories because it shows you've got the ability to grind them out. But a really good day at the office for Southampton. For Blackburn, though, having seen the highlights, obviously I've not seen anywhere, nowhere near as much of the game as you did. But from what I saw, it was just a case of Southampton were very, very good. Blackburn, as you said, were nullified. But I think for Blackburn now, the, the concerning element for them is that their form is very inconsistent. It's four wins, four defeats in the last eight now. It's very up and down, very mixed modge. And it's quite clear that they do need that little bit of strength in depth come January. Obviously, they've had a lot of injuries of late. So let's see what they can do. But Southampton away, never an easy game. 
But at this point in the season, they're 11th in the table, five off the playoffs at the halfway mark. It's not bad going for, again, a very young and inexperienced team. I, um, As I said to you before we started recording, obviously I, I was aware of some of the scores until about half-time. Um, and then I didn't really get a chance to to keep track of the scores as the game was going on because obviously I was focusing on writing my uh, my articles for on the Blackburn game at St Mary's. And the last time I'd seen Preston North End were beating Watford 1-0. And they brought up all the full-time scores at St Mary's on the big board as they do in every ground. And when they read out Preston North End Watford, uh, Preston North End won Watford five. My jaw dropped to the floor, and this really was the top result of the weekend. It wasn't a shock in terms of the result, but in terms of the manner of it, and particularly after Preston had gone in front, and it was a really nice goal that put them in front. Lovely wing play from Liam Miller, just as he did in midweek at Huddersfield, set up Will Keane for a re- really inventive finish. And Preston had looked decent in, in midweek against Huddersfield, albeit a Huddersfield side that are obviously quite low on confidence at the minute. And then it just collapsed. And that seems to be happening far too often under Ryan Lowe at the moment. Obviously, we know how poor the form has been over the last few months, but but may, I think Preston fans were probably hoping the win at, Birmingham, at uh, Huddersfield was, was going to be a turning point. But once it goes to one all 17 seconds after, like you look at the goals individually, They've, and the fact they've conceded 32 goals in their last 14 games, that's not a Preston North End team. Luke conceding more than two goals a game, that's not how Ryan Lowe gets his teams you know, to be more of the sum of their parts. And you look at some of the goals, like the equaliser, which is 17 seconds into the second half. Where's the defensive structure? It's one ball, and Lindsay's one-on-one with Bayo, and we're 17 seconds into the second half. How does that happen? Um, then Martin makes it two... Kayembe's strike from range is a good one. That's probably the best of the lot where I can't really pinpoint an error from Preston as such. The fourth one, Miller doesn't track Bayo, and I suppose there's your risk and reward of playing an attack-minded player within your back five. Um, And then the fifth one, um, conceded from Preston's own corner, where Kone Kone ends up scoring. Again, it's another good finish from outside the box, but it all came from a Preston north-end corner. So just a disastrous second half performance from Ryan Lowe's side to and it's just not the first time we've seen this is it I think there's a stat going around I think this is now the 12th time they've conceded four or more under Ryan Lowe so when they go under Preston North End they really go under and that is quite a damning indictment of the squad because if you remember casting your mind back to end of last season they had a bit of a pop at the squad after the Sheffield United defeat where they lost and they got the tummies tickled a little bit and he sort of said I'm not here to finish in mid-table. Some of those lads are not ambitious enough for me, etc. And I think they tried to address that in the summer with some of the characters and some of the players they brought in, you know, maybe like a Jack Watmore, for example. And it's not worked, quite frankly, because there is that soft underbelly that is still there at Preston North End. It certainly seems that way, doesn't it? And while you were saying that, I've just got Preston's results up in front of me and it's now four times that they've conceded four or more in the championship this season. They they lost 4-0 at home to West Brom, 4-2 away at Ipswich, 4-0 away at Middlesbrough not long ago and then 5-1 of course on Saturday at the hands of Watford. So it is a real big problem for Preston. When you look at their recent sequence of results now, it's one win in six in a run that they've lost four in. So they are taking a hell of a nosedive quite quickly and again, Similarly to last season, albeit last season it was the draws and the clean sheets that hogged the headlines. This Preston side won six of their first seven games this season. 
And everybody was tipping them quite early on, thinking, oh, they've got the quality so to get the, the playoffs numbers, this season. It's interesting, because the, some of the, the and, attacking numbers in that phase where they were winning games, the, the, the underlying data would suggest they were running hot a little bit, and they weren't probably as good as that. They were. But they have regressed far further back, and the numbers have got worse. They've regressed very quickly. They have. They've regressed incredibly quickly. I mean, to, to put it into context, that six-game winning run that they had at the start of the season... After their first game, they drew the first game. So then they won the six following that. So they won six of the first seven. After they won their sixth game in game number seven on the 19th of September, they've won three league games since then. That is it. Only one of those has been at home. That's the worry for Preston now. It's it's three successive home defeats in which they've conceded nine goals and scored just two. So that is a problem for Ryan Lowe. The home form has been something that's always tend to get Preston kept them out of danger and Deepdale's often been a difficult place to go. But this season year, now, they? they weren't last year, but overall, when you think back previous years, it's yeah, always yeah, been one of those grounds where you know, notoriously a team's, yeah. a team's sort of built themselves on being able to be solid at home and churn results out yeah. there. But this season, certainly recently, Preston's home form has fell off a cliff, let's be honest. was just absolutely horrendous. It's it's just so embarrassing from a Preston point of view. But at the same time, you've got to give huge amounts of credit to Watford, who are a team that are going under the radar, I think, this season. Valerie and Ismail obviously got that job in the summer, did a very good job at Barnsley previously, started off well at West Brom, then it petered out a little bit, and obviously it spelt the end of his time there. But the Watford fans, who obviously have have seen God knows how many managers come and go at Vicarage Road in the past five, six years or whatever it's been. They are really liking this style of play that Valerie and Ismail has implemented. And you can see with the results in recent weeks, Watford have been really, really good. Since the 4th of October when they lost 2-0 to Sunderland, Watford have lost two matches. They were both to the teams that currently occupy the top two spots in Watford and Ipswich. In, the, in their last six games, for instance, they've won three, Lost two and drawn one, both defeats in that run to the I top go, two. You can go further so it's back than that. Clear. I've just I've done some numbers out myself. Yeah, they, you they've, can. Um, they've taken 21 points from the last 11, which is nearly automatic promotion form. Contrast that, it's been Preston a really good have run. taken 12 from their last 11. Yeah, it's been a really, really good run from Watford. And I think the thing that is, is quite interesting from a Watford perspective as well is that they seem to be scoring goals a lot more frequently than I probably expected at the start of the season because their signings were a little bit different to what we'd seen in the past, the likes of Tom Ince, Reese Healy coming in. They weren't quite what we expect from a Watford sort of recruitment model in previous years, but there's certain players that have stepped up so far this season have really sort of catched the eye. Um, you, you look at the likes of the guys that scored on Saturday. Bio, he's looked really good in Kyan recent weeks. Kayama's playing in a more advanced role in the last three. few weeks as well. Kayama's been good. Kone, he's looked bright. Martins has looked bright. Then, obviously, he didn't score at the weekend, but Rajovic, he's been chipping in with the goals as well. So, they've got goals coming from all angles of the team, and I think that's what Valerie Isbell will take a great amount of comfort from. And we mentioned about Preston shipping goals. This is now the third time this season already that Watford have scored four or more in a game. So, they've clearly got it in them to take teams to the cleaners, and that's something that you do need now and again in the Championship, just to put in a performance where you sort of score a hatful and teams take notice of you and think, yeah, they, these could be ones to watch. But I'll be honest, at the start of the season, Watford, based on what they'd done in the summer and the way they'd been up and down in the last few years, 
It's like, for instance, in previous years when they've been in the Championship, obviously they've been a bit of a yo-yo club, haven't they? You've always looked at Watford as sort of a, a team you would think has nailed on to be a top six contender, whereas this year I didn't really consider them, didn't really give them much no, of a chance. But here we are, twenty. Here we are, twenty-two games into the season, and they're only five points off the playoff places. Obviously, there's, there's many teams chasing these four playoff spots this season, but Watford are certainly playing some of the the better football. In certainly in recent weeks, anyway, they've put a really nice run together, built on a really nice foundation, a nice pattern of play that Valerie Nismel has been able to implement there. So I think Watford, certainly maybe not as leading contenders for a playoff spot, but as dark horses, are certainly ones that are possibly going under the radar a bit. Because like you say, they're forming the last few weeks. It's been really, really impressive. The numbers are really encouraging. So you look at their upcoming games, they, they've got a bit of a mixed bag really in their next four. Blackburn away on Saturday. Boxing Day, Bristol City at home, Stoke at home on the 29th, then Plymouth away on New Year's Day. So not the hardest run on paper, certainly not the easiest by any stretch. There's some difficult tests in there. Blackburn away won't be easy. Plymouth away, going to Plymouth isn't an easy game for anybody. So certainly got to be at the very best levels in these next few weeks. But once we've sort of moved out of the festive period, it will. I think we'll have a clear indication of where this Watford team is at because I think with a few additions in January that they could be there or thereabouts come the end of the season because their form, like I say, recent weeks has been very, very encouraging and probably hasn't quite got the credit that it's deserved from those outside of a Watford persuasion. So Valerie Nismel doing a cracking job at the, at the moment and maybe, just maybe, a Watford manager might actually survive the full season. We shall now, see. That would be a Christmas miracle. It would be. That that genuinely would be a miracle. Hull City statement win. <laughs> they beat Cardiff City 3-0 quite comfortably. They were Hull were 21st when Liam Rossini took over. They're now in sixth as we come to the end of the calendar year. Big win, big statement against the top six rival because as I've said, you know, I've written this many times in terms of Blackburn. If you are not Leeds United, Leicester City, Ipswich Town, or Southampton, um, the results that matter are basically against every team below them. Like, forget what your results are against them. It's about beating the teams in this mini-pack trying to get fifth and sixth. I would put Hull and Cardiff both in that category at the minute. I'm not sure Cardiff are going to stay there over the course of the season, personally, depending on what they do in January. But Hull, certainly putting down a marker. Blowing, they blew them away, really, didn't they? There was no Philogene. He's still in, injured at the moment. But they had Aaron Connolly back, who was in great form. Earlier in the season, he scored. Liam Delap is playing fantastic at the minute. He created that goal for Connolly. Brilliant pace and power to get down to the byline, get it across. Seems like a just a far more confident player under the guidance of Liam Rossini, and that probably shouldn't come as much of a surprise given his background. Scott Twine scoring goals now, a superb free kick into the top corner, which we've seen him do many times. I think that's three goals in five games. Ozan Tufan's always good for a goal, but a quality as well. He latched onto a long pass from Tyler Morton, gathered it, chipped it over the goalkeeper. Brilliant week for them, having come from behind to win at Middlesbrough as well. So they beat two playoff contenders this week, got themselves back into sixth, haven't have done that without their best player. And it's been a really, really great week for Hull City. And, and Liam Rossini is doing a fantastic job there. He, he has been backed. You know, let's not pretend that he's on a shoestring budget at Hull because he has been backed certainly in the back end of the transfer window, signing Philogene in particular, signing Scott Twine will be on a hefty amount of um, wages, I will imagine. Liam Delap's probably not a cheap deal either. So, the, the, you know, there is some money spent in that squad. But... 
You've got to harness it. You've got to get the most out of it. And he's certainly doing that. And they're a good watch, Hull City. And that's something that hasn't been said that often um, about Hull City in, in probably, what, the last five years while they've been a championship club. Certainly not. And you reeled off there the, the positives for this week in the sense of back-to-back victories, cemented a position in the playoffs. And, of course, the news today with Liam Rossini signing a new contract until 2026. So... It's been a very good week for Hull City. Christmas has come early for them, if you like. But I'll be honest with you, I, I sort of saw this victory coming at the weekend. It wasn't one that I was, when I saw the results on Saturday night, looked at and thought, didn't see that one coming. It was one that I thought Hull, they, they've got, with, with no disrespect to Cardiff, they've got better quality in forward areas than Cardiff City that can hurt you. And that, that shone through at the weekend. Liam Delap with a lovely ball across the, the six-yard box for Connolly to score the easiest goal he'll ever get in his life. Scott Twine with an absolutely brilliant free kick. And then obviously Ozan Tufan with a classy finish to, to finish the game off. And two in two for Tufan, obviously got the winner at Middlesbrough in the week. And for Hull City to have beaten both Middlesbrough and Cardiff that are obviously chasing the same goal as them this season, certainly in Middlesbrough's case, who obviously targeted the top six on the outset, I'd imagine. It's been a really, really good week after back-to-back defeats to, to Watford and, and, and Queen's Park Rangers. So you look at Hull and realistically they're in a good place it's four wins in the last seven games steady run of form but I think the most important thing for Liam Rossini at at the moment is the fact that Hull are overall they're making the MKM Stadium a bit of a fortress this season I think that's the really important thing for them sorting this home form out and overall their their record at home under Liam Rossini is Pretty good well, going. You look at Hull City's at home the start record. Of the season wasn't there, but they've started. Right there was, and then they've now. started to. That's the thing. They've only lost two of their first eleven at home. I'd admittedly only won five. It was those four draws, but in recent weeks they have stepped it up, and they are as well a bit similarly to Watford as well. They're starting to put the ball in the back of the net a little bit more consistently as well. And like you say, the fact that Jaden Philogene's been missing recently as well, I think that's an even bigger bonus for. For Liam Racina in the sense that he's got his players stepping up and capable of winning games without him, who is obviously the star attraction. But I think when you when you take into account that Hull, like everyone else, are now one game short of the halfway mark of the season, to be occupying a playoff place is very, very good going. And you do make a very good point in the sense that Hull City did spend a decent amount of money in the summer. It'd be, it'd be naive to say that they didn't. But when you remember that, yes, they've spent a fair amount of money but the owner there has been willing to back Liam Rossini, who, in the grand scheme of things, is still a very young manager and he's still learning. I think the fact that he's adapted to this scenario of having money to spend and top-quality players available to him with a little bit of pressure on, I think he's dealing with it really well. And Liam Rossini is a, is a man that myself and you have constantly praised on this podcast in recent years, even when he was part of the, the backroom team at Derby and then went into the manager's position at Derby. We've always been a fan of him and... I think Liam Rossini, just sort of as a human being, when you watch him in interviews and stuff like that, he just comes across as a really nice, genuine guy who's very, very likeable. And I'd almost say, and I'm saying this as like just looking at the person, never mind what his job is, he doesn't strike me as being the sort of man that there's nothing to dislike about him. He just seems very down to earth, very genuine, very honest. And it's nice to see a young English coach doing really, really well. So personally, I think Hull City with... With the quality that they've got, and you wouldn't rule out them investing even further in January if they're in a good position to kick on in the second half of the season, you'd imagine that the owners, who have certainly chucked a fair amount of money at it so far, would be willing to to dive into their pockets again and try and look at what he needs in January. 
I think when you take into account how tightly packed this playoff race is, Hull City, of course, leading this battle at the moment, I think Hull are in a position where they can attract some of these young Premier League players because you're seeing the success of Liam Delap this season. You're seeing the success of Tyler Morton. So they're going to be an attractive proposition for Premier League clubs looking to loan out their younger players for the second half of the season. So there's a lot going right for Hull City at the minute. They're playing some good football, winning games. And like I say, this week, this week alone, Middlesbrough away, Cardiff at home, that's a big six points to have secured. And it's just been topped off with Liam Rossini committing his future to the club because he is clearly a manager whose stock is on the rise. Uh, threatening to prove myself wrong with my pre-season predictions but of course it is worth mentioning that Hull City's uh, transfer business had not quite taken off at the point of taking making those predictions so yeah I'm probably gonna be left with egg on my face come May when we look back on those but really pleased for Hull finally got an identity again after a few years of obviously went down to League One then scrapping relegation a little bit but now it looks like they're finally on a club on the on an upward trajectory again. Sheffield Wednesday, they beat Queen's Park Rangers 2-1 in probably the biggest game at the bottom of the championship table. Three wins in four for the Owls, a big six-pointer, and Danny Danny Rules, um spell in charge of the Owls goes from one strength to another. They went behind in this one as well for an own goal from Bambo Diabe, but they definitely deserve something from the game. And they got it in dramatic style. A really, really good finish. The more I watch it, the better the finish gets from Bailey Kadamatri, who is on fire at the moment. He's scored three goals now in his in this four-game run. Um, he's scored, he signed a new contract this week, a new long-term deal with the club. He's, he's been, as I spoke about um, when he scored in the Blackburn game, he's a, he's a boyhood Wednesday fan, been with the club since he was eight. So for him to be the number one choice for Danny Real up front right now. It's been a great rise for him. Deserves the new contract. Good for Wednesday to time down. And there's something about Hillsborough in it. They just it's just got a magic feel that gets Wednesday over the line when they really need it. They did it against Peterborough and they've done it here. And I really think this result was really important because not even because of the league table, but I think for belief, momentum, those sort of intangible qualities. I don't think anything gets decided table wise in December. If Wednesday had lost, they wouldn't be any more relegated than they were beforehand because we're not even halfway in the season. We're in December. If they'd won, I don't think it means they're going to survive, definitely. But I do think in terms of belief, I mean, the players are all very, all very bought in, so is the fan base, but even more so, and the momentum it gives them, it's a fantastic, fantastic result for them. Anti Masaba, of course, nicks the winner for the second time in a week after Fletcher's uh, header had come off the post. He volleyed it in. Six points from safety because Huddersfield do keep picking up the odd point and it keeps Queen's Park Rangers in reach too. I don't think you can underestimate how big a result this is for the Owls. Huge result. Huge, huge result. It's a game I was at at the weekend and again, was was encouraged by what I saw from Sheffield Wednesday. First half was a little bit flat. Both sides were bereft of quality in that first half. It's fair to say it was like a chess match in the first half. Defences were on top. And both sides, they knew the importance of this game in the grand scheme of things. I don't think, sort of in the sense of the points, but I think in the sense of maybe the psychology of it and the momentum and the confidence it were, result would have brought. QPR went into the break ahead. They, they shaded the first half, but not by much. Neither goalkeeper had a meaningful save to make in the first half. Danny Rill made a tactical change at half-time. 
brought Jedi Kasama on, young forward who came in from PSG in the summer. And he certainly had a positive influence. He got the assist for Kadamatri to equalise. Um, and then he, he was the man that ultimately forced the corner for the, for the winning goal with his pressing and harrowing the ball into the corner. And Barry Bannon obviously took the corner. It was cleared back out to him. And then Barry Bannon, arguably his best performance of the season so far, he was on his A game on Saturday. And he delivered a peach of a cross up against Ilias Cher, just kept him on his toes and then eventually whipped it in, found Fletcher, whose header hit the post. And then obviously Masab was on hand to put it in. But three wins in four for Wednesday now. They, they've certainly got a lot of belief around the place. And it's the home form under Danny Rill that I think has been quite encouraging so far. 10 points from 15 in his first five home games in charge. It's a solid return. And when you take into account the teams that Wednesday have played in that run, Leicester obviously came top of the pile. Blackburn came on a good away run. QPR have been in good form recently. So Wednesday have not had the easiest crop, uh, certainly a crop of fixtures in the last few weeks. And of course, it's it's just one defeat in five for Wednesday now. And that was at Norwich in midweek. And again, Wednesday didn't play badly in that game. Their, their performance was there the first half in particular. So it was just a lack of quality in the final third that cost them against Norwich, really. But overall, Wednesday's certainly moving in the right direction. And the, the connection between the fans and Danny Rill is, is absolutely unbelievable already. There's such a feel-good factor around the place again. And yeah, there's still six points separating the hours and safety. There's a lot of work to be done in January. But the players have bought into what Danny Rill's trying to do. The fans have most certainly bought into it. And when you think back to where Wednesday were when Danny Rill came in, they, they looked like an absolute for a club that was broken from top to bottom that were gone. That Some people were questioning if they'd even be able to win a game all season with the way things are going. But all of a sudden, they've found this momentum. And Danny Rill said, didn't he, that the November international break was going to be key for his team. Since then... They've won four, uh, won three out of seven, I think it is, picking up a point against Leicester as well. So when you think back to that Leicester game, that Jeff Hendrick goal in the 93rd minute to earn a point, that ultimately was the turning point in Wednesday's season. They've not looked back since then. And back-to-back -back home wins as well. It shows that Hillsborough is becoming a fortress again after obviously a terrible start to the season. So for Danny Rill, things are looking positive. For QPR, for Marty Cifuentes... He was disappointed with the way his side closed the game out of the weekend because he felt that they got it in the in, in the bag, really, even though they weren't at their best. They didn't carve out many meaningful opportunities. And to be fair, neither side did up until the latter stages. But I don't think Marty Sifuentes overall can be too downhearted with the start he's had, to be fair, because he had a good start at QPR. It was, they, they'd kept three clean sheets in a row prior to going to Hillsborough at the weekend. So they've been improving in both boxes. And ultimately, both Wednesday and QPR, though it was Wednesday's day on Saturday, are teams that are moving in the right direction. So the likes of Huddersfield and Stoke Millwall, that they should be looking over their shoulders because these two at the minute, though, like I say, QPR were beaten at the weekend, are the ones with a little bit of momentum. So going to be interesting to see how things go. Next up for Wednesday, Cardiff at home next Saturday. I think that's another game that they can certainly look to try and take something from. So let's see where the Owls are at because after that, they've got Coventry away Boxing Day and then a trip to Preston to round out the year. So... Certainly a crop of fixtures where Danny Rill will be targeting more points. So let's see what Wednesday can do, but certainly in a hell of a lot better place than they were, they say, this time last Absolutely. month. Absolutely. It was a big result at the bottom for Plymouth Argyle as well. They beat Rotherham United in dramatic circumstances. Um, a defeat for Liam Richardson back-to-back -back this week, having been appointed on Monday as Rotherham United manager. Um, they lost to West Brom and they lost to Plymouth, but gave a really good account of themselves in fairness because... Coming into the weekend, you'd have thought Plymouth, 
obviously one of the better teams in the whole league at home. Rotherham, the worst team. If we if we split all twenty four teams into two teams, home and away, Rotherham would probably Rotherham away would come forty eighth out of forty eight. So and Plymouth at home would probably be somewhere in the top ten. So you thought it was going to end one way. So the fact that Rotherham led, got themselves level as well with ten men. <laughs> what? What was Daniel Ayala? Bearing in mind, this is Daniel Ayala, who's just come back from a very silly suspension where he threw the ball away and brought down Charlie Patino in the opposition's half for some reason. What is he do? He just catches it on halfway. Like, it's not even like. Oh, I can say. I think he's got his date. I think he's done it on purpose to get sent off, but he's got his dates mixed up and he's forgot there's another game before Christmas. And I think he wanted Boxing Day off and he's just made the mistake. But now, Daniel, you're definitely going to play on Boxing Day. Unless you you get an injury, well, because you're going to miss the game on the twenty third. All I'm going to say is, what is a player of his experience thinking? They are two of the most it, you could understand cards you've ever seen. You could understand it if it was say. A, that's what I mean. You could understand it if it was a young player sort of coming into the team for the first time, never experienced senior football before. But we're talking about a man that's that's played in the Premier League here, got a promotion from this division with Middlesbrough, and he was a player that you know, five, six years ago was a centre-half that was considered one of the best in the championship. And what on earth was going through his mind at that point in the game where Rotherham were right in the game? And yeah, ultimately, they, they very nearly did get a point out of it, Rotherham. What a point it would have been. But obviously, they did lose in the end. But I would imagine if Liam Richardson's gone back into that dressing room at the end, I'd imagine that he's had some very stern words with him. Whether Liam Richardson's sort of taking it cool being the new man in there, Sort of maybe not wanting to go too hard on players he's only met just over a week ago. But goodness me, I mean, what what was he thinking? But as for the football itself, quite the game. Yeah, and Finazaz with a starring performance. Yeah, I want to talk about Finazaz, but fair play to Robin in fairness. They got themselves ahead through Liam Lindsay. That was a really good strike. They also got themselves level as well through Tommy's. Forgot Tommy's existed and played for Rotherham United, I'll be honest, because he's spent most... He got a three-year contract, which is bonkers, but... He spent most of the first 18 months of that injured. Um, so he got on the score sheet. But I want to talk about Finazaz because we always wax lyrical about Morgan Whitaker and Barley Mumba, and rightly so because they are both brilliant. But Finazaz has been in fantastic form for Plymouth Argyle. Scores the penalty, but for me, not even the, the good strike for the second goal either. The, the best bit for me is the, the, is the winning goal, the assist. You see the reverse angle where he bring the the control to bring it down is brilliant. The touch is great, and then the deftness and the quality to lift it over the defender's head in the ninety sixth minute for Morgan Whitaker to go and then lash it into the back of the net. Really, really disappointing and hot and disheartening if you're a, a Rotherham United fan. But Finnazaz so good, and that is why Plymouth will stay up because they have got match winners. They've got three match winners if not more, in terms of Whitaker Mumba. And Finazaz is right on their level as well, I think. Particularly in the last sort of 10 games, he has really come to the show. He's probably been better than Mumba, to be honest, in the last sort of 6-10 to 10 games. We have to also remember that Plymouth lost both of their strikers very early on. Ryan Hardy went off injured. Then Mustafa Bundu went off injured. Both potentially long-term injuries, according to Stephen Schumacher. So this is a really big result for Plymouth. Gives them more breathing space on the bottom three. And Finazaz has just been an absolutely fantastic signing for them. He certainly has. I mean, I'm, I've just got the numbers of Finazaz and Morgan Whitaker up in front of me now. The, the numbers are just absolutely terrific. And they're both players that 
were sort of not expected to go back to Plymouth this season after the success of last season's loan spells. But Finners has six goals, four assists so far. Morgan Whittier, nine goals, four assists. Has there been a better sort of duo for one club all, all this season in the Championship? I think it'd certainly be hard push to find one. They've been two outstanding signings that have, uh, have bailed Plymouth out in this game ultimately. Because if Plymouth had not won this game, this would have been deemed as a really poor result for Plymouth in the sense that Rotherham are so bad away from home and up against 10 men. But Finazaz, he was the star of the show. There's no doubt about it. A couple of goals and the assist. The assist was, like you've said, it was it was magnificent. But Plymouth's home form, nine times out of 10, you can expect them to get a win on their own patch. It was the first time, albeit they've been out of the championship for a long, long time, that they'd actually won three home games in a row at this level since 2008. So it shows it's been a long, long time coming. But Plymouth's home form is really, really impressive. And this is what is going to keep them in the championship this season. And we've seen, haven't we, even when they've lost at home this season, certainly for the most part, they've been hard pushed for them points. So Plymouth looking really, really good. 22 points from 33 at home this season. They got a point in the week away at QPR. Not the worst result considering that QPR have been on a bit of an upward trajectory in the last few weeks. But they just need to find a way to maybe just get a couple of wins on the board away well, from home probably, here and they there. They don't. Even, They're that good at home. Even if, like I was just going to say, even if they don't, their home form is going to keep their heads above water. And I never once considered Plymouth for relegation at all. Didn't at the start of the season. I put them as high as, I think it was 14th in my 1-24s. to And they've just carried on doing what they were doing last season in the sense that they've made home park a fortress incredibly difficult place to go four wins in the last five on their own patch now and they just they look a really really good side and they, they and the thing with Plymouth is though their away form has been underwhelming they've got it in them to play some really really nice football they've got some really good technical players in that team your Azazis your your Morgan Whitakers your Bally Mumbers they're the star men but even players like Ryan Hardy they've stepped up to the plate this season Lewis Gibson's been really really good at centre back Michael Cooper in goal is one of the best keepers outside the Premier League when he's at the peak of his powers. So they've got a lot of quality from back to front in that team. So Stephen Schumacher, I think he can be really, really pleased with how this season's gone so far. Like I say, we're one game off the halfway mark. If they win at the weekend, take them 29 points, that that is a really good haul from their first 23 games when you consider they've been out of the Championship for, what, 13, 14 years, whatever it was. So... Really pleased to see them doing well. For Rotherham, though, it's a it's a hell of a sucker punch because that would have been a brilliant result, especially with 10 men. So, big, big job on the hands of Liam Richardson. Obviously, he lost his first game against West Brom, but he'd literally been in the job 24 hours before that game. So, you couldn't really pin that on him at all. So, it's going to be hard for Rotherham to get out of this. Nine points from safety. Stranger things have happened, but I just think it is a case of the teams they're scrapping with are just that little bit better, have got that little bit extra, a bit of quality. January, they're bound to bring some players in. Is it going to be a considerable difference? We will see. But I think, in a way, I think Rotherham have probably appointed Liam Richardson with half an eye on being on League One next season. So, time will tell. Stranger things have happened in football, but I think it is going to be a long road back for Rotherham from here. But like I say, time will tell. I, I like Liam Richardson. I thought he was very harshly sat by, good appointment. Sat by Wiggins. Good so appointment. I think it's a good appointment, but I do kind of... Certainly, I kind of agree. It certainly was. A, I was just going to say it certainly was a strange decision by Wigan when you look at what Colo Torre did when he followed I him he in. Did a good job. I thought that, that worked out well. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> yeah, I think I think it's impossible to deny though. I do think that, as you said, I think there's a half an eye on League One with that appointment. But I do think it's a very good appointment as well. Um, Middlesbrough, they beat Swansea City 2-1, bouncing back from their midweek defeat. Um, lovely ball from Matt Crooks to Sam Greenwood for the first. Swansea have missed quite a lot of early openings to get themselves in front and Middlesbrough punished them for that. Um, they did get level through Jamal Lowe, heading in a very lovely cross from Josh Tynum. I like Josh Tynum. I always think he looks like one of the best left-backs in the league, but um, maybe consistency and injury is probably a bit of an issue. Lovely cross, Lowe heading it in. Um, and then... Probably the weirdest goal of the um, of the EFL weekend or the Championship weekend. A back pass from Harry Darling. It's definitely a back pass, by the way. The commentator on EFL highlights seemed to suggest it was an interception. He literally passes it back to his goalkeeper. Picked up by Carl Rushworth. And they had nine men on the line. But despite what were they? It must have been, what, six yards out, seven yards out? And Silvera still found a if gap that. to make it 2-1 and send the Borough for home, for the fans home happy. I was actually having a chat with a couple of Middlesbrough fans on the train. Um, I was on the back, train back, obviously, from um, Southampton, changed at Birmingham to then get to Sheffield, where um, I live in Barnsley. And they were on their way back, obviously, up to Doncaster, and then they were driving back up to Middlesbrough. So I was having a bit of a chat with them about the season and, they were saying that they were good value for the win, but they're still not sure if they're quite going to have enough in terms of squad depth to get in the playoffs. I still think Borough have got probably, of all the teams in sort of this condensed pack that we keep talking about, that are between like, what, 14th and 5th, they've probably got the highest ceiling or certainly amongst it. It's whether they can keep the floor um, high enough that, that they pick up enough points to, to ensure they get one of those two playoff places. But this was a really good win, a good response after losing at home to Hull from behind, from ahead, should I say. Yeah, and not just that, obviously it was, it was three defeats in a row, wasn't it, prior to that trip to Swansea at the weekend. But of course, they'd, they'd lost a very good lead and a very good Ipswich team in that run. So you can't be too hard on Middlesbrough. But And it's worth mentioning, of course, they've had to battle a fair few injuries in recent weeks as well. You can't ignore really? that fact. I think what Middlesbrough do need, obviously now is every team needs, whatever their goal is this season, they need to try and find a little bit of consistency. That is the big thing for Borough now. Big game this coming weekend, West Brom at home. That is a big game. Both teams, obviously, with similar expectations this season. But then you look at that period between Christmas and New Year, Boxing Day, a trip to Rotherham. Friday the 29th, a trip to Huddersfield. They are two games. If Middlesbrough want to get in the playoffs, they've got to be getting six points from for me. They're the games that you really need to win. Middlesbrough, obviously, as we've touched upon many times in the last few months, went down a very different path with their recruitment to what we expected in the summer. Didn't quite bring in the, the sort of the, the big names that we expected them to after what they did last year. So the question is really for Borough is, can they discover a, a Cameron Archer in January like mm -hmm. they did last year? Can they bring someone in of that calibre? It's going to be difficult. But I think at the same time, you've got to appreciate in terms of the goals flowing, Emmanuel Latte Lath has been stepping up in the last few weeks. He's got three goals in, in his last four games. So that's certainly a step in the right direction. Sam Greenwood, he, he's shown quite a fair few glimpses of what he's Very all about. He got a good goal at the weekend. Took, he is, took that goal really well. And obviously that wonderful free kick against Leicester last month that he got. So Middlesbrough have certainly got options in forward areas. There's a lot of quality in that team. It's just a case of hopefully the injury situation improves. And can they find some consistency? Because we saw last season, we've seen in patches this season. Let's not forget, Borough went on a six-game winning run between the end of September and the end of October. So they've got it in them. They've got the quality to do it. 
Michael Carrick's proven that he's a very, very good manager at this level. So let's just see what Borough can do because, like we've said, it's a very, very tightly packed playoff race at the moment. Borough currently in 13th. We're only six points shy of Hull in sixth. So a lot can change very quickly. But for me, this Christmas period for Borough, very, very important. Like I say, big game in West Brom on Saturday. Then those back-to-back trips to Yorkshire to play Rotherham, Huddersfield. You know, they're, they're two games that you look at and sort of say, if you want to get in the playoffs, two teams that are struggling at the bottom end of the table, you've got to be getting six points. So let's see where they're at at the, the end of the calendar year in a couple of weeks or so time. And, and I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll look at Borough's situation then. But January could be important. But yeah, been a bit up and down in recent weeks, but certainly not a team you can rule out of this playoff race by, by any stretch. And finally, Bristol City beat Sunderland by a solitary goal to nil. Um, I definitely think Bristol City should have put a penalty before they actually scored. Um, Dan Ballard absolutely wipes out Mark Sykes and nothing is given for some reason. Again, that came from Sunderland playing out from the back. And then the penalty, exactly the same. Sunderland playing out from the back. Kamikaze stuff. Patterson brings down uh, Taylor Gardner and Hickman. Definitely a penalty. Conway scores, sensing the wrong way. And that proves to be the winner. But both teams had chances. Mimetti hit a post. And certainly Max O'Leary had to make a few good saves in the second half from 09. And Bellingham, really good saves. But I think this was a big win and a decent performance from Bristol City for Liam Manning because I feel a bit sorry for him coming in because Bristol City were not terrible under Nigel Pearson. So the scope to improve them with this current squad, there's not that much room to get them miles better. The fans didn't really want Pearson to go. And so it's hard for him to really come in and wow them and and get them off the seats. You look at someone like Danny Real, for example, coming at Sheffield Wednesday. Fans didn't like Cisco. The football was terrible. They were losing every week. There's loads of ways to improve and get people on side. I feel like Manning's not got loads that he can do other than ask for patience. So grinding out, I think I do think they ground this out a little bit in the second half. Sunderland did put a lot of pressure on O'Leary, did make a lot of good saves. But grinding it out was an important win for them um, because they're, they're a team, they're just a mid-table team, aren't they? I think personally, I, I don't yeah. think whether the manager's Nigel Pearson or whether it's Liam Manning, I think you're going to get the same whether you get the same in two years time that's what the Bristol City board have, have gambled on ultimately making that change and um, for Sunderland George the vacancy at the uh as, as the man in the manager's dugout looks like it will be going to Mick Beal who was uh, of course Queen's Park Rangers manager got sacked by Rangers most recently what are your thoughts on that well <sighs> If they get the Mick Beal that started at QPR, then it could be a very good appointment. If they get the one that's been the, been the Mick Beal since, then it might not work out so well. But some clubs are the right fits for some managers and obviously some aren't. So it is really hard to sort of gauge how this one could work out. Ultimately, do I think it's an upgrade on Tony Mowbray? No, I really don't. I think I think it's quite a quite a disrespectful move on Tony Mowbray in that sense that they're not bringing him that's anybody that I'd think any particularly better but it's obvious that they want a younger fresher face with a more dynamic approach perhaps that's going to be more forward thinking as a younger up and coming manager even though Mick Beale has been in the game quite a while certainly at youth level and then developing into a first team manager there's so many young but, players and I know Mowbray was good at working with young players but maybe in terms of co- that's the maybe thing. in terms of coaching the young players Mick Beale's obviously a very well regarded coach he is, but I just look at Tony Mowbray and what he's done with young players in the past and I just think he was the perfect man to sort of continue what he was onto there. And 
I know it's something that I've said time and time again. You look at Harvey Elliott, Blackburn, what he did with him. Ahmad last season, Jack Clark's flourished under Tony Mowbray. Joe Bellingham's looked really good under Tony Mowbray. So I just I just still personally think it was a very strange decision from Sunderland to relieve him of his duties. But the fact that now I'm going to make Beal does seem even even more because I've got I've got nothing against Michael Beale because he did do a good job at QPR, certainly at the, at the beginning. It was obviously once the talk of a move to Wolves and then a move to Rangers set in that it all started to unravel. But aside from that, he didn't do a bad job at Queen's Park Rangers. They they loved him at the beginning, the QPR fans. I remember I remember one tweet that we got saying that he was the most competent manager that they'd seen at Loftus Road since Neil Warnock, which was more than a decade ago now. So it's quite clear that Mick Beale, when he's you know performing well, when his teams are performing well, that there's a good manager in there. There's no doubt about that. But I just don't necessarily think it is a impressive upgrade on Tony Mowbray. So yeah, that, that's where I sit with it. I don't think it's one where I look at it and think absolute disastrous appointment, really, really bad. But I don't look at it and think, wow, that's quite impressive. It's sort of down the middle. So I can see pluses and negatives of it, but ultimately. Personally, I don't think it's an upgrade on Tony Mowbray. Four draws in the Championship this weekend. Ipswich 2 and Norwich 2, the highlight of those. A really entertaining East Anglian derby. Ebbed and flowed. The momentum switched. But ultimately, Ipswich's 14-year wait for an old farm win goes on. They did take the lead through Nathan Broadhead. That had them on top. They did have chances before that as well to get themselves ahead. But then John Rowe came to the party. Um and the first goal is it's not great defending, is it? Let's be fair. He has three stabs at the cherry in the end. Um, question of offside as well when the cross comes back in while he's still on the floor. Not sure whether he's quite level. Um, but he volleys it past Heikey. Well, he pokes it past him in the air. And then the second one, again, I don't think it's great defending from the long throw. Doesn't get dealt with. Again, could Heikey do a little bit? It goes through him. Albeit there's a defender sort of stood in front of him. But Ipswich got themselves back in. Great finish from Wes Burns um, for two all. And I think Ipswich were probably the better team on the balance of play and certainly in terms of chances created across the 90. But fair play to Norwich because they went to a really difficult place. They did try and play their football. And fair play to John Rowe for sticking his chest out in his first East Anglian derby and scoring the two goals as well. So they, I think I think it would have been harsh if Norwich came away with nothing. But I think Kieran McKenna's assessment that they were the better team is probably fair. As well, uh, there were three one-all draws. Leeds United won, Coventry won. More drop points for Leeds, which is frustrating given how... Well, frustrating for them given how well um, Ipswich and Leicester have been doing, although obviously Ipswich dropped a couple as well. Coventry giving them a bloody nose in the second half. Somerville scored the same goal that he seems to score every week where he gets played in on transition and curls it in or, or some sort of fin- finish with his right foot into the corner. Um, but Bobby Thomas got himself between Archie Gray and Pascal Stroik from across and headed in for one apiece. Uh, West Brom drew one all with Stoke on Sunday. I thought West Brom were quite clearly the better team in this game because like, the Stoke goal is across, first and foremost, from uh, Lyndon Gooch. It deceives um, Alex Palmer and goes in. Really good finish from Bromis, uh, Brandon Thomas-Asante for the equaliser. And West Brom were the ones pushing uh, Jack Bollamad to make some really good saves to keep them in it. And I think West Brom will be very frustrated they didn't manage to get the victory because they were the better side and obviously Stoke have not been in great form either. And then finally, Millwall won, Huddersfield won. Um, I've got no issues with the Millwall goal. I think Lee Nichols doesn't have clear control of it, doesn't have two hands on it. I don't know if you agree. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I was looking at it and sort of, sort of. No, no, no. I was looking at it when I watched the highlights on Saturday, and I thought he's not got two firm hands on that ball. It's it's loose. Broke no and cuff. He's done nothing wrong. So fair play, a legitimate goal for me. And equally, quite a good spot by the referee in the ninety seventh minute. Savile's handball converted by Bergzog. Got no issue with that either. Gets a, another point on the board for Huddersfield. Um, interesting that the owner came out in midweek and sort of said that the football's a bit crap, um, which doesn't ever help Darren Moore or, or any ownership, but he's heading over for the uh, for the festive period and it'll be interesting to see what they do in January. I do think they need to give Darren Moore some time because I don't think it's a great squad. They've got injuries. They've got the more creative players are injured at the moment as well, but I have to admit they're a bit of a tough watch at the minute. They are, they are struggling, and I've got to admit, I did expect a little bit more from Huddersfield results-wise from Darren yeah, Moore. I can't, but I can't ultimately, that. he he is working with someone else's squad. There's no getting away from that, and we've known from what Darren Moore did in his previous job at Sheffield Wednesday. Darren Moore is more of a builder. He likes to build his own team from the, the ground upwards, develop his own squad. Job as a football manager. Don't know. Maybe he just fancied a change now and again. Who knows? But you know what I mean. He's certainly a man that wants to be the, the, the sort of the architect of building that oh, team. No, he doesn't architect. like to inherit other people's players. He's a bit of everything, is Darren Moore. He's a very versatile operator. Um, but yeah, I can understand Huddersfield fans' frustrations. I really can because the football recently has been very, very poor by all accounts from what I heard. They, they were absolutely woeful in midweek against Preston North End in that 3-1 defeat. But at the moment, they've still got their head above the parapet at the minute. But QPR and Sheffield Wednesday at the moment, certainly in a better place in terms of recent results and certainly playing better football in the last few weeks. So work for Huddersfield to do because that squad, with no disrespect at the moment, is bereft of some much-needed quality. So be interesting to see what happens in January. But I wouldn't stick the knife in Darren Moore just yet. I think it's still too early. And I think he certainly deserves certainly deserves at least one transfer window to try and correct things. I agree. Uh, And that's a decent place to mark the end of this week's podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please make sure you are subscribed to to the podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts from, and you'll get the latest episode from us every single week. There will be plenty of podcasts coming over the festive period. We're going to be recording a podcast reflecting on the 23rd and the 26th, and there'll be another podcast coming in the new year reflecting on the games on the 29th and New Year's Day. So plenty to get stuck into as we all sit back uh, with a beer, with a bit of turkey and enjoy the festive football. So thank you for listening. Of course, a massive thank you as always to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.